On today's episode, we open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Yahweh had rejected King Saul, and although Saul will continue to rule for quite some time, God tells the prophet Samuel to anoint a new king for Israel. Despite many impressive candidates, God chooses David, a young and humble shepherd, highlighting the importance of inner qualities over outward appearances. This chapter that we're going to cover today marks the beginning of David's extraordinary journey as he becomes the renowned king of Israel. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Friday, May 19th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. LHF is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. You can visit them online to learn more about their translating and publishing work and how you might be able to get involved at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us open up for Samuel chapter 16. It's the Reverend David Boysclair. He's the pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boysclair, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, it's a joy to be here uh, during this uh, Easter season and, and now the day after the ascension of our Lord. It is, it is. Yesterday was ascension, which means I think we have like, what, one more Easter Sunday, and then it is Pentecost already. So time has really flown by. I don't know about for you, but it sure has for me. Oh, absolutely. And the older you get, the faster it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Well, I tell you what, um, I hope that things have been going well at your congregation. And, um, you know, I'm excited to get into today's text because it's a real shift in the narrative. Finally, David enters the scene. We've been dancing around David because. Well, you know, he hasn't come on, but we know how the story goes. Today, he is going to be anointed as king. Uh, Monday, we'll be talking about David and Goliath. So we're starting to have a, see a shift in First Samuel and what it's talking about. But before we dive into that text, would you start our time together off in prayer, please? Certainly. Let us pray. Oh God, you know our actions and words as well as the thoughts of our hearts. Such knowledge overwhelms us we know that there is nothing we can hide from you. We repent of our sins and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ alone for his forgiveness. Your thorough knowledge of us comforts us in knowing that you know all of our needs. Your spirit dwells in us to help us pray in our weakness with sighs too deep for words. Be with us as we consider yet another of your testimonies of your faithfulness to provide for the needs of your people. You do all things well. We entrust ourselves to your gracious keeping in Christ Jesus. Give us wisdom in the study of your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, yesterday when we gathered around God's word, we talked about how Yahweh had rejected Saul. Um, anything that you want to tell the folks that they should know before we move into our text? Yes, I, I think um, there were two times where where he had disobeyed God. Uh, originally, when Saul was anointed king by Samuel, he was kind of given some tasks, and he was uh, instructed at Gilgal to wait for Samuel, which he did not do, but then he 
under pressure from the people, he sacri- made a sacrifice, or the, the men of his army were leaving, and he uh, made the sacrifice according to that pressure. And then at that time, uh, Samuel said, you know, you're, you are rejected by the Lord, even then. And then, then, of course, they gave him the task, the Lord, through Samuel, gave him the task of devoting to destruction all of Amalek, uh, in chapter 15, and of course, uh, ultimately, all of Amalek was uh, put to the sword, but uh, not in the w- manner in which the Lord wanted it, and uh, which also had Samuel uh, uh, repeating to Saul, you know, you have been rejected as as the king of God's people. Uh, it, to obey is better than sacrifice, which kind of reminds you of where, where Christ says, um, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so, and, and so then um, you have, as, as, it's, as it is here, where uh, Samuel is mourning for uh, the failure, it, much as he kind of warned the people of Israel er, in early chapters. You know, this is, your, your king is going to be um, a very big burden for you. And in this case, uh, he, Saul, of course, uh, fails to uh, be God's king. Yeah, Saul had an interesting beginning because, you know, God didn't want them to have a king. Um, he wanted to be their king. Samuel didn't want to give them a king, and Saul himself, at the beginning anyway, didn't want to be king. He was hiding. And and so all the things that uh, the Yahweh had revealed through Samuel that the king would do if they chose a human king came to pass with Saul. And our chapter yesterday ended with, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and Yahweh regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we have the grieving of Samuel. We have Yahweh regretting, which is an interesting phrase. We, you know, we think of it from human terms like, I, I, I did something I really shouldn't have done, and I wish I hadn't have done it. That's not necessarily the connotation here for God, because you know, everything that God does is, is good and right and salutary. Uh, but we still have the fact that Saul has not lived up to the king that he should have been, and now God will anoint a new one. Let's read the first five verses of our chapter today, which is chapter 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And Yahweh said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what Yahweh commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So as we get in this section, you know, Yahweh begins by basically telling Samuel to, to buck up, right? How long are you going to be upset over Saul? I've, I've got a plan. I have someone 
in mind. Uh, <laughs> tell us what's going on, brother. Well, it's rather interesting in, in uh, the uh, self-study Bible, uh, they quote from Luther, and, and uh, Luther says that God is, uh, in a sense, saying to Samuel, "Are you? do you regret, um, you know, the, just the outcome of all of this? You know, th- this is basically what I have decided, uh, that, that I have rejected Saul. Now, uh, I'm going to give you another task to do. And and so that's it's kind of what what's really um, kind of a joy here is that uh, from the Samuel of course is the last judge of Israel, and he uh, gets to anoint um, the faithful King David. You know, even though he you know in other words, so his his life uh, allows him to live and serve the Lord by by doing this great service for him. Right, and he gets to be part of God's plan, and so if he's sort of moping over the fact that, well, God made me anoint a king I didn't want to anoint, and of course it turned out badly, and he's just feeling bad, God has a different view of things. He says, why look at the past? Look at the future. Look what's going to happen. Um, I've rejected him from being king. Now, Now get back to work, right? Fill your horn with oil. I provided for myself a king among his sons. But Samuel was probably, for very good reason, concerned that King Saul would hear about it and kill him. Saul has turned out to be a pretty narcissistic and paranoid king, and and I imagine that's true. If he had heard that Samuel was going to anoint another king, um, then Saul would have probably tried to put a stop to that, wouldn't you say? Oh, oh, absolutely. And um, what's rather interesting about you know, as Christians, we, we know that it is a sin to lie or to deceive or, or anything like that. But in in cases like just one example in Exodus chapter 1, where the king of Egypt wants to slaughter the uh, male children or infants of uh, the Israelites, that the um, midwives, of course, uh, kind of tell them a, a yarn in order to to excuse the fact that they uh, are rescuing these youngsters, and that, of course, pleases God. So, you know, God is very much concerned about the lives of people, and so perhaps if there's—and I'm not saying that this is deceitful activity, in, in other words, having the sacrifice, but in, in a sense, it's, it's, it's not um, uh, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, uh, at least before Saul— uh, because obviously, um, you know, there there's a sense that Saul is is a, is a very troubled and and very disturbed individual and could harm. Well, we have had this conversation on this program before about you know is it ever okay to tell not the truth or to tell a lie to be frank about it, and and you're right, this is one of those like sort of technically true things. Go and say you're going to have a sacrifice if anybody should ask, and that'll that'll be nice cover for what you're about to do. But then, of course, it's technically true because that's what he's going to do. And we used examples. I forgot which guest it was or even which text it was, but we used examples of you know people hiding, um, uh, like say Anne Frank in the in the in the attic and that sort of stuff. You know, if you're protecting life, you know, is there a, is there a level to keeping God's commands? whereby you, um, you, know, you might lie to save a life. And we see that in the Scriptures, in the example that you used also. So, yeah, there seems to be a, 
a little bit of uh, dishonesty going on, but it's it's not it's not sinful dishonesty as the way we would think about it. In fact, in that episode, we concluded that there certainly are opportunities and times when telling the truth might actually be harmful to someone. Yes, exactly. Even even um, David's first wife, Michal, uh, also uh, employs deception in order to rescue her husband. Uh, when Saul, uh, you know, initially just goes after him and tries to kill him in his bed. Oh, precisely. But I will say too, as we look at this, though, I think what's interesting, or at least what stands out to me, is when he goes and he, he's heading up to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city come out. They obviously know who Samuel is. They see him coming. Here's the prophet. Here's the last judge. Um, they say, do you come in peace? Uh, what are they worried about? They're, they're kind of frightened by seeing Samuel. Well, uh, they just uh, in, in days before, uh, he takes the king of Amalek and hacks him to death before the Lord. So Samuel is, is, is no slouch, you might say, as being a fierce uh, a proponent of God and his will. And, um, you know, it, it, maybe, maybe they were kind of uh, uh, shaken by that. Uh, you know, so again, and, and, and probably Samuel, of course, in his ministry, uh, visited many different cities and go city to city. And, and of course, uh, there would be uh, uh, sacrifices and probably judgment that was rendered. And so, um, and, and, and as we know, too, it, from the book of Judges, you know, there was like the, the Benjamites, uh, were were subject to that type of judgment from God because of their sin, and so um, in a sense, any you know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, as as the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says. So, so here's God's prophet. And why is he coming now? What's up? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very often that prophets came bearing good news, right? This unexpected visit from God's prophet. It's it's sort of like. Okay, what did we do wrong? What what judgment might be coming upon us if we don't, you know, avert from whatever sin we're committing? Um, and and I kind of, I, I guess I kind of feel that because you know, as as pastors today who um, certainly don't serve in the same prophetic role, but we 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 speak on behalf of what God has spoken in Scripture and through His Son, and and there are times when we interact with people and they only kind of think it's bad news, and this is a very kind of, I don't know, silly example, but I am at, sometimes when I'm in the grocery store and, and I see someone who hasn't been in church for a while and they see me, if they don't try to avoid me, <laughs> and, I, and I end up saying hello, the first words out of their mouth are usually like, oh, well, I've been so busy. Sorry, I haven't been in church for a while. And it's like, I wasn't going to say anything. And, and I get that <laughs> same sense here. You know, here comes the prophet. And the first thing they're saying is, Okay, what did we do? What did we do? We didn't do anything. But uh, in this case, of course, he says he's come in peace. Yeah, and 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 um, in in this particular case, uh, you, you know, it's rather interesting how the Lord communicates with Samuel. I mean, uh, as we will see. But I mean, um, you know, Samuel was was one of God's blessed judges uh, in in his work, and uh, you know, in, in other words. Uh, you know, he, he was very faithful in order to uh, do the Lord's will. And, and so um, it, it's, it's really exciting as we continue to follow him. Well, let's continue in our text for today. I'm going to read verses 6 
through, mm, I guess through 13. I'll go ahead and read through there. Here we go. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely Yahweh's anointed is before him. But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For Yahweh sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, Yahweh has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, We'll send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had a beautiful eyes and was handsome. And Yahweh said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So he's, he's gathered all the people together here. He's going to have this sacrifice. He consecrates Jesse and his sons, invites them to the sacrifice. But then we, we get sort of this um, depiction. He's, he's clearly told Jesse that he's come to anoint the next king. It's going to be one of your sons. Uh, but the one that God has chosen isn't even among them at first. Uh, what's, what's going on? Well, um, obviously, uh, Jesse probably thought that it would be his eldest. And, and I mean, the, these these three men that, that are presented here are, are quite imposing that even Samuel says, you know, and this must be the this must be the one whom the Lord wants. You know, and, and, and in a sense, I don't think there there is a clear indication, at least among all of the people present, that uh, he's there to anoint a new king. Um, some some uh, commentators have said that, well, the reason why they, each of them present themselves before the prophet is for them to be consecrated for the sacrifice, and and that involved washing with water, and um, and, and then and then of course uh, you you have the situation where. Um, you know, they, they Jesse didn't think that his his the kid brother would be would be one to uh, be of any importance. Besides, he had a responsibility to care care for the sheep out in the field. So, um, you know, uh, that's why that's why they let him out. But then then, of course, um, in a in a manner of speaking, I you know, I wonder whether Jesse fully understood what was going on because Samuel just said, "Well, get him too because he needs to be a part of this." You know, not that uh, you know, obviously then it must have been David who was going to be anointed because he was the only one that wasn't wasn't there. The word used for David um, could mean youngest, and it certainly does mean the youngest, but it can also mean small. You know, we have this small kid as opposed to the, you know, the tall and, as you said, imposing uh, first son anyway, and maybe the others. But it says, for Yahweh doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. 
Um, so is there something about David's nature that causes God to choose him? Because we think of the Blessed Virgin, and one of the things that is clear in Scripture is that she has found favor with God, and a lot of a lot of hay has been made over that, whether you know, there's something about her intrinsically that made her appropriate for that blessed role, whereas Lutherans have often argued that it is um, that nece- necessarily isn't the case. Um, what's the case here? You know, is, is David chosen to demonstrate God's power? As we often see, he chooses the lesser to show how he can work through the weak. Or is there something about David's character that God sees and says, this is why I'm picking him? Do you know? Yes, I would think both and. Um, you know, we see, you know, how you see how when in, in, his, in the Psalms and in, in what he uh, has written and sung, for the, the sweet psalmist of Israel, as he is called, um, you know his his heart is truly with the Lord. Um, one one of the things about Mary, uh, yes, I mean the where it says um, the Lord, you are highly favored. Um, in the um, it's interesting in the Latin that's translate translated gratia plena about the Virgin Mary, uh, meaning that she is the source of grace, or she is filled with, full of grace, and therefore she is the source of grace. But in the Greek, of course, it is the one whom God has favored, which has the idea that it is not something merited, but is something graciously bestowed. And so that that was really misunderstood. Something is always lost in translation. And so, you know, in in, in Latin, of course, uh, Mary gets to be exalted greater than than God intended her to be, Uh, especially uh, like in um, the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, uh, where, where the seed of the woman is said to be Mary herself. Because the the feminine form of of the word is used in that passage in the in the Latin translation. So even there too, you can see why uh, in the medieval church uh, Mary is sometimes exalted more than she is. But it, it's true about David, though. Again, it, it's that there was an interaction between him and God that he trusted God, and and he. Um, uh, saying uh, with such beautiful, uh, beautiful psalms, of course, and we we always must remember the Good Shepherd Psalm or the Shepherd Psalm, Psalm twenty-three. So for David, you know, being chosen king isn't analogous to being saved. So there is some merit within him that causes God to choose him. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, uh, merit that God has worked in him in that, uh, you know, he, he among his brothers is, is, uh, turns to Yahweh and, and has, well, and I, get, I, I mean, I say this with some trepidation, a, a close personal relationship with Yahweh. Uh, but I mean, that's not said in the scriptures, but it could, because it could be both, both and God chooses uh, the weak and the and uh, and those who do not have strength within themselves, um, in order to show his power. Even as Saint Paul says that it is that he rejoices in his weaknesses, for by that the power of God is is you know made manifest to the world. But also in the case of you know also in the case of David is is you know he he had a very close relationship with Yahweh as we see from from uh, reading on in in uh, the Samuel and and Kings. Absolutely. Well, we also see here in this section where they can't sit down and eat the sacrifice until David comes. 
Uh, you know, I don't know how much we could make of that, but it's interesting. He comes to do the sacrifice. He's consecrated them for the sacrifice, uh, but they, they've left David out on purpose. As you said, he has this this role to play. He's he's the little one, he, but he's also he's he's keeping the sheep. His humble dedication to duty, whether it's just him following his God, his, I'm sorry, his father's will, go do this, or whether he's just out there not as concerned about being around for the sacrifice or being anointed for whatever's going on. We see this humble beginning for David, which is going to really blossom into something amazing. David's going to be um, a, a, sh- a great shepherd of the people of Israel. He's going to be in such contrast to the way Saul is. Uh, but but still, they're waiting around for him to come so that God could, I mean, so, so Samuel could anoint him, so God could anoint him through Samuel. Yes, and, and, and notice how it says that, you know, he was ruddy, uh, he had beautiful eyes, he was handsome. Um, it's interesting that that was said only of Esau up to then, and uh, among uh, the peoples in those days, uh, having red hair, uh, was was a, a mark of beauty in the, in the uh, eyes of the people. If if any of their children uh, were were sort of different in that way, I, it reminds me of one time I was driving through um, uh, Cape Girardeau and there was something I saw something that I don't think I'll ever see in my entire life. There was a a uh, albino or white deer that crossed the road with other deer. And and so obviously David stood out among the people uh, by the fact that he was was his beautiful eyes, his his uh, you know his handsomeness and his uh, red hair. But isn't that also an interesting detail in when we've just been told that the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance, but it seems necessary for him to for the author of First Samuel to include. But so far as appearances are concerned, he was good looking. <laughs> doesn't that seem kind of odd? Yes, yes, it does. I guess sort of, in a sense, it kind of shows, sort of, sort of as a uh, uh, teaches us that God changes our hearts. God uh, creates a new heart within us, and 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 that sometimes blossoms out in 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 a uh, pleasant personality, and and uh, you know, so there were, in a sense, there were marks of God's grace toward David in this respect. Agreed, right? Because God had already known it was it was not like God was trying to pick which one He wanted. God knew that from the beginning. This was uh, Samuel trying to discern from God uh, who He had chosen already, who He had already chosen. Uh, you know, and I know it doesn't say how God is speaking or communicating with Samuel, but I suppose there are a couple different options here. I, perhaps He's using the uh, the Urim and Thummim, or perhaps it's just some sort of inward voice. Uh, I know we don't know, but clearly God is speaking or communicating with Samuel in some way, in a unique way. Um, God doesn't do that anymore, does he? He speaks now through his son only. Oh, yes, and, and through the means of grace, obviously. He, he, God limits us to the means of grace in order to determine his will um, but he doesn't limit himself. And so in, in the case of his prophet uh, Samuel, he, he, may, he may have, uh, you know, changed his mo- manner of working in this respect. And I, I believe that it, it, was, it was sort of like an, a, a um, speaking to him within his mind. Uh, that, that seems to be there. But again, it could be the other way. It could be through the Urim and Thummim. 
uh, or some other mode of communication. You know, I mean, if it's presented in films, sometimes this particular uh, event uh, in the in the um, film, the latest film was one that was made at what in the 80s, King David with Richard Gere. And, and um, that one, uh, they had uh, Samuel use uh, Urin and Thummim to go through the sons of Jesse. And uh, then with David, of course, the sun shone through the stones and showed him he was the he was the chosen of God. So there are many different different ways uh, it, it can be fancifully portrayed. Well, either way, we know now that God has chosen David to be the next king of Israel. We're going to take a break, but we're going to keep on talking about it. So, folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Boys Claire and I will keep on going through 1 Samuel 16. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Friends, thanks for gathering around God's Word with us this morning. You know, I love to hear from you, so you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can connect with me on Facebook, ask a question, just say hello, or make a comment. Thy Strong Word airs on AM 850 in St. Louis, but you can also stream it live as it happens or on demand at kfuo.org or using the KFUO app on your on your Android or your Apple phone, or you can subscribe to the program with your favorite podcasting service. You can also listen through your smart speaker. Just ask it to tune to KFUO radio. I'm so glad, pardon me, I stumbled in my words. I'm just grateful, and I appreciate that you've chosen to grow in your faith with me and my guests today. So thanks for being an important part of the show, the most important part. So, Pastor, before the break, we were just getting up to the point where where David had been anointed by Samuel uh, to be the future king of Israel. Or should I say he is the king of Israel? Kind of how does that work? Because in verse 13, once he's anointed, it says the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel got up to leave. But then the very next verse, verse 14 says, now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul. So is he the king now? And Saul is like a, a, a king um who's not appropriate or who, who a usurper that's a usurper. the word i was looking for yeah, yeah tell us about that well i uh, i would i would say yes 
Um, but obviously, uh, David still had to be prepared uh, for entering into his, his um, uh, shall we say, ministry of being king over God's people. Um, it, it, it's kind of, it's rather interesting that the Lord renders judgment on Saul, but it is, you know, there's somewhat, the, the end of it is sort of delayed until he, of course, he's killed on the Mount of Gilboa by the Philistines. Um, and, and, and much in the same way, too, as is in the Garden of Eden, where our first parents sinned, uh, they didn't die that very instant. Of course, they died spiritually, you might say. Uh, they were, they were, uh, became uh, children of unrighteousness. Um, and in a, in a sense, uh, here, too, it, it's sort of like God kind of, we know the way in which he's working by what happens afterward. Uh, they don't take a number of soldiers and, uh, and and fight against Saul and put him down and depose him from being king. But rather, it was um, God's interest to uh, sort of rear and, and, and um, uh, help David to become, form him as a king. Well, you know, in some ways, especially the now but not yet aspect of it, reminds me of what we are going through today, right? Christ is victorious over sin death and Satan, and yet we still fall into sin, we still die, and we're still troubled by Satan. But the victory's won, we just don't have the the fullness of that victory until Christ returns. There's kind of a now but not yet thing going on. Oh, absolutely. And it's always, as Luther mentions, under the contrary. It seems as if the devil is winning uh, and a lot of times Christians are dispirited by that, but uh, there is always the promise that that God is is always in charge, and uh, that He all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Let's add a few more verses to the conversation. This is going to be verses fourteen through uh, eighteen. Here we go. Now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And Yahweh is with him. Let's just pause right there. Uh, so what is this harmful spirit? A harmful spirit from, from Yahweh, from God? It, it, seems, uh, it, it seems that might be hard for us to understand. Oh, yeah. And, and looking at the Hebrew, it says uh, ra, which is the Hebrew word for evil, but it's usually interpreted as mis, misfortune or, uh, you know, calamity or mischance. Um, now, obviously, God and God says in, in his word that he is, a, he is the creates good and he creates ra or evil or calamity. Um, but that is not ra is not moral evil. Or at least in the case of Yahweh, it is not moral evil. Rasha is is uh, the word in Hebrew for moral evil. So this spirit, it, it's kind of 
in a sense, it's interpreted by the translation that says it is a harmful spirit. In other words, this is an act of God's judgment against Saul. Um, he takes away the his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit goes to David. Now, that didn't necessarily mean that, that both of them couldn't have had the Holy Spirit. It's just that, that that's a sign of God's manner of of uh, transferring his uh, choice from Saul to David. And I think another thing that people need to remember is that God is always in control. And so when bad things happen, they may not be sent by God, but God being always in control certainly permits bad things to happen, including evil spirits. Just as he permitted Satan to attack Job, he, he could be permitting an evil spirit to afflict Saul. There's, there's lots of different ways to understand this. We have to sometimes be careful of, uh, you know, theodicy, right? Getting God off the hook, because God is indeed in control. So it's interesting you brought up, you know, the, the Hebrew here really is kind of literally evil, and I think it's translated in such a way to kind of not associate evil with God, which is fair because that's theologically correct. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that God doesn't allow evil to afflict people because he does. And, and, and he allows sickness and he allows Satan to rule at least on a, a short leash here in this life until his return. And why those things continue, certainly only God knows fully. But we have to remember that God is ultimately in control. I think I think that's so so very true. I think you've explained it beautifully. Um, one of the things in in my early ministry, I remember there was that Rabbi Harold Kushner who wrote a book called "Why Bad Things Happen to Good People," and he in his book he said these three things cannot be true. Job was a good man. God is Almighty. God is just. And so the thing, of course, uh, Rabbi Kushner kicks out is that God is almighty. And so what happened, and because Job is a good man and God is just, or, and, and we would say he is loving and gracious. But unfortunately, the old guy is not completely in charge. And so uh, obviously you have to forgive God for the fact that he's powerless. What type of a universe does this uh, uh, Kushner want to wow. live in where God is not in control? I mean, that would, that would you know, as St. Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Uh, but the ultimate thing is Job was not a good man. Job was a sinner. All of us are sinners. If there is calamity and and hardship in the world, is because uh, is brought about by our sin. And as you as you so beautifully said, that God permits um, evil to kind of advance uh, in in a sense as a judgment, but He sets a limit to the evil and He uses the evil for good. Precisely, and so that very well be could could be what's at play here. Uh, but we have him being tormented, and then, of course, because God is in control, we see this amazing thing that happens. <laughs> David ends up being brought in to Saul to play for him. Um, I do have a question, though. How much time has passed? I get the sense that it's fairly immediately, but one of the ways in which David is described here—oh, by the way, spoiler alert, this is David they're going to bring in, but they said, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who's skillful in playing. That's going to end up being David. A man of valor, a man of war. I thought he was this young shepherd. Where are we getting this language of a man of war? 
Well, um, the commentators, I think Kyle Dalich says, well, he uh, obviously he was noteworthy as being the killer of the lion and the bear and, and defending the sheep with his sling. Uh, then, you, then of course, you'll see in chapter 17 that he's able to stand up against, uh, you know, do something that nobody in Saul's army could possibly do in, in killing Goliath. Um, and, and, and of course, it's kind of with the idea that God is with him. So he's able to perform these great uh, feats of, of uh, facing these predators uh, that are trying to get his father's sheep. So I, I think the commentators say that it's not necessarily the fact that, well, obviously he wasn't a soldier because he becomes an armor bearer later. You know, I mean, that's another spoiler alert. Uh, you know, so so obviously he he has not uh, he's not in the army. He hasn't proven himself militarily, but he has uh, as a shepherd doing what was what he was responsible to do uh, with uh, the at his age. And I love the description, though, and a man of good presence. I, you know, I'm not 100% sure what the connotation there is in the Hebrew. I'd have to look at it. I didn't. But I kind of get at least what the English phrase means. You know, there are some people where just them, they, 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 I guess they project an air of either authority or comfort or trustworthiness. Um, and that is what David is doing. And, of course, it says Yahweh is with him, which is not only true, but— a little ironic because, well, the the opposite is Yahweh is no longer with Saul, which is why he's being tormented in the first place. Um, I'd like to add the rest of the chapter, verses 19 through 23. So he asks for, uh, provide for me a man who can play well, and here's what happens. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Well, so here we go. We have David. Now he's serving, I guess, permanently for the king. Uh, a couple things that stand out to me is that David, I guess the king asks Jesse, let David remain in my service. That doesn't sound very king-like. Oh, um, well, it's let him stand before me or, well, I mean, it, 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 in a sense, um, he, as, as all subjects of a king uh, rather would be rather be asked than told, I mean, uh, then the king is not perceived as, as a tyrant uh, in, in, the, in that, per, that particular case. I mean, and it probably was David was still young. I mean, um, and, and his, it, in other words, that would take away from Jesse, uh, a family member, when, when uh, they wanted him to uh, continue in his uh, service as a shepherd. Um, and so the king, uh, the king here, Saul, Saul has some redeeming qualities in this particular case. Uh, well, not very many, of course, but anyway, that he he uh, requests of of Jesse that that his son be there. It's it's so ironic, isn't it? This is the man that God has chosen uh, to um, 
replace Saul and his and his family as on the throne of Israel. And, um, and, and he's the one that's brought into the, the royal household. But isn't that in accordance with God's idea of forming David as king? Well, I think of Samuel in the, in the house of Eli, and now you have here uh, Saul's essentially, in some ways, training his replacement. Uh, but I also think it's very ironic that what, is, what does he say? It says that he loved David. Saul loved David. Well, that loving relationship isn't going to last very long. But if so, clearly Saul doesn't know that David has been anointed king. I think that begs the question: Does um, does Jesse know? Do they know? I mean, does David know? I mean, I, I know that this is what's happening in the previous section, but I, as I read through it a couple times, it, it isn't clear in the text that he says why he's being anointed. Right, and and um, I I mean again, it, it's it's sort of the way I look at it. I I would think that David knows himself. Um, you know, like the 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 question is, you know, do his brothers understand? If you look in chap again, if you looking forward to chapter seventeen, David uh, is sent by his father with provisions for his brothers that are in the uh, Israelite army. Uh, you know, where they are uh, facing the Philistines. Uh, they they say, well, why did you why did you leave the your your job as being shepherd? That you know we know what you're up to, you know. So so even his brothers probably didn't have the idea of what was going on. But I think David understood, um, but again, maybe not fully, you know. And and obviously the way things are turning out, it it was there was a need for David to mature. Uh, for him to become a man of valor, valor, what he was said to be. So he says, let David remain in my service. He's found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played with his hand. Saul was refreshed. So I I think it's an interesting foreshadowing of David, um, I guess, bringing comfort to Saul, who's being afflicted, by an evil spirit, because we know that David is a type of the Christ, but we also see here in a very practical way how God is allowing wickedness to reign in Saul's life, but also sends him the means by which he could be comforted in the meantime. We, we see that today, as you mentioned earlier, in the means of grace. And, and, and it's rather interesting. Look at, look at how Christ dealt with Judas. I mean, as as if there was sort of a a, scent, a you know, kind of a a possibility of Judas, uh, you know, repenting of the evil that he intended to do to the Lord, or in the case of Saul, that that he had all of this time afterward to um, repent of his evil. You know, probably a man of God, if they were told, well, God chose this other young man to be king, uh, Saul should have said, well, I resign my kingship to him. Um, you know, I have sinned against God, and, and God has chosen. You know, it, it's it's rather interesting that, that the people of God reckon, uh, recognize and accept God's judgment or God's uh, providing 
for instance, when when in in um, the Book of Acts, where where the Holy Spirit comes upon Gentiles, upon uh, Cornelius and his household, and 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 they were reprimanding uh, Peter, saying, "You went into uh, into the homes of Gentiles and ate with them," and then and then Peter told what happened, and they said, and then their response is, "So the Lord has granted repentance, even to the Gentiles." The people of God always humbly accept the loving choice and the loving disposition of their God. So here we have this just David being prepared for his future calling, but David and his future calling being a a preparation for all of Israel to what God has in store for them in the future. Uh, There's just so much buried in these texts for us to look forward to, especially as we reflect on them from our position, that is, having seen the, the promise of the Messiah fulfilled in Christ, and of course now we're, we're waiting even on this day, and we get to look to Christ for when our own spirits are troubled by whatever the world, Satan, or our sinful natures uh, bring us. Um, you know, David's going to not be a perfect king. He's certainly going to have his own problems, but the juxtaposition between him and Saul will end up being David is one who relies on God, whereas Saul often relies on his own wits, his own strength, and um, and is very concerned about his own appearances. Um, I think this is just the beginning of a very interesting part in the history of God's people and also our own history. Um, we just have a few minutes left in the program. Uh, just whatever else you want to cover before we end today. Well, it, it, as, in the case, as in the case of David over over Saul, you know, you, when David goes through the same types of, of trials, uh, you know, his response is one of, of humble uh, obedience to the Lord. Uh, one can also point out that David's dynasty uh, ne- will never end, uh, because obviously it is our Lord Jesus Christ who still reigns uh, over all the universe in heaven uh, on the right hand of God and is present everywhere that he might fill all things. Uh, so that uh, you know, David, it is by God's grace that 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 house of David continues uh, even into eternity. And in the case of David too, you can see how God is at work in him because of his responses to these things. Uh, he 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 is sad when his son Absalom, who uh, all nearly deposed him from his throne, uh, was killed. Uh, and 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 uh, when when uh, Israel was punished by God toward the end of David's reign, uh, you know, he gave him a choice of three things. He said, "Let us fall into the hands of the Lord." And and so, um, you know, again, he's such a wonderful example for the Christian, and and such a wonderful um, patriarch, you might say, of of the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he being the great and eternal King and priest, and prophet that reigns forever. Amen to that. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend David Bosclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor, thanks as always for being on the show. Do you got anything special planned for this Pentecost season or anything going on there in your congregations uh, coming up? Well, uh, right now um, my congregations are, are paused, I'm I'm serving as interim pastor at uh, uh, our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland in our circuit, and uh, we certainly have uh, great uh, 
Feast of Pentecost that we're preparing for uh, to celebrate before the Lord. And in, in always, uh, it's, it's always a joy for us to be with God's people as they sing his praises. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love Pentecost. We make a big deal out of it, too. And then, of course, we move into ordinary time or Sundays after Pentecost or Sundays after Trinity, if you're on the one-year lectionary. Uh, and it kind of slows down a little bit because it's not the festival season. We don't have special service after special service. Uh, and so the services end up being a little more predictable. We're talking about uh, the church growing. We're getting into acts. We're doing all kinds of things. Um, but but I think for pastors, we get a little bit of breathing room, but and maybe not you, but most pastors do. And, uh, and we get to start focusing on how the church grew, and it should inspire us to be the church out in our community. So I love Pentecost season. Um, it's a long one, but it's certainly a blessing to us as we grow in our faith toward Christ and love toward one another. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Folks, when That's we come back blessing. on Monday— we're going to turn the page to chapter 17, and then we're going to cover one of the most famous events in the Bible. This is the account of David and Goliath. I'm sure you heard about it in Sunday school, but there's so much more to the story than just what we've been told, perhaps. Armed with only a sling and a few stones and his faith and trust in God, we know that David agrees to fight for Israel against the Philistines' own giant champion, Goliath. It demonstrates the bravery of David, the trust that David has in Yahweh, and almost everyone knows how David wins the day. But the question is, what does this tell us about Jesus? We're going to talk about that at length on Monday at the same time right here on the program. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.